Well, good morning, Clover Hill. How y'all feeling today? Ready to go? My name is Brandon Shank, and I'm the lead pastor of Lifehouse Virginia Beach. We launched. Thank y'all. Love you guys. Good to see you again. Uh, uh, but uh, but listen, I want to. I really believe in giving honor where honor is due. And um, you know, I, I served on this staff years ago, and uh, I really believe. Like, I feel like when I come back, I'm a son of the house. You know, I feel like there's so many faces and so many people that I know, uh, even on the ride over the other campus and back, just joking with some of the guys that I played softball with and hung out with. And, uh, but I really do. I feel like when we come back, we, that there's such a DNA in us that goes to Virginia Beach, and your footprint is there. Uh, not only because some of the people that were here went there whenever we launched or have continued to come, but um, there's just a family atmosphere, and we really thank you guys for your support. I thank you for the way that you have just wrapped your arms around us. Uh, but you know, uh, Pastor Stan, when I came on the staff here, there's two things I learned from Pastor Stan that have been life-changing and really footprints and foundation for where I'm at. Uh, the first one is that he taught me how to pray. You know, the first place I've ever been to where they taught me how to fast was Clover Hill. And me and Trevor, I don't know if Trevor's still alive. I talk to him every now and then. Uh, you know, I, I was texting him this week. You never know where that guy's going to be. Old Tito. Uh, but I was talking to Trevor, and, and uh, what a faithful guy to this place, man. But uh, him and Pastor Stan, and uh, they always said I talked a lot and worked little, but they didn't realize I was their spiritual advisor. Like, they needed me to get somewhere. Uh, and so we, but he taught me how to pray. He taught me how to fast, and he taught me how to really seek the heart of God. And the second thing Pastor Stan taught me was how to be a husband and a father. You know, seeing him do ministry, the way that he does it, watching him do it, I, I realized that it can be done well as a dad. I realized it can be done well as a father, just seeing the way that his kids loved him uh, and, and adored him and Angie. Uh, and that is something that Casey and I, so many times, we have looked at and said, man, we can do it. We've seen it done well. So I want you just to, I know they're not sitting here right now, but can you just give honor to Pastor Stan and Angie? Can you just thank God for them? None of this is here without them. None of this is here without them. And I just truly love them. Truly, truly grateful. Listen, there's a statistic that says people are like 80% more likely to hear what you have to say if you show them a picture of your family. And so I want to show you a picture of my family. Uh, we got from the far left, that is my oldest, Caden. He is seven, and he's going into second grade. Uh, the one in front of him with a checker, that's Rylan. Rylan is five, and this is his first year of kindergarten. He's getting ready to kick off. Um, my, little, my little guy, Makai, he is three. He's wearing his backwards Oakland A's hat, tied for number one in the West. What, what? And then we've got my... Uh, my 16-month-old on my lap, his name is Asher, a.k.a. Chunky Love. And so that's the, uh, that's the crew and my beautiful wife who is actually here with me today. I've been with her 20 years, married for 13, and so that's the Shank Clan. And uh, it's just been an honor to serve Virginia Beach as a city. It's an honor to, to be a part of what God, what God is doing. Listen, I want to take a minute. I really want to challenge you. I want to ask you some questions, but I, I really want you to think about this. You know, in our life, I think one of the, the things that we have to, sh- to really walk through as human beings is the feeling of being apathetic towards things, right? Uh, you think about your vehicle, this vehicle you wanted, you finally buy this vehicle, and you drive this vehicle, but then when it gets all dirty, and everybody knows you have the vehicle, you're thinking, nah, maybe I should have got something different, right? Or that house that you've always wanted to buy, you've always wanted to build, and you finally built this amazing house that you've always wanted, and this house is beautiful, it's amazing, it's got quartz everything, quartz counters, quartz floors, quartz everything, but it's a little drafty because it is 5,000 square feet full of quartz. And you're thinking, maybe we should get something else, you know, and it's just, this is, this is the cycle that we go on in life, and I really want to challenge you this morning about your, the way you walk with God, I think that as human beings, we have to fight this apathetic feeling in every area of our life, and our relationship with God is no different, you know, I hear people say all the time that, well, I'm a Christian, like almost as if, well, I do have this badge on me, not realizing that what makes you a Christian isn't believing in Jesus, what makes you a Christian is actually following him, and people who follow Jesus, the thing that makes them powerful is desperation, 
It's when you're desperate for the things of God. Not when you say you know God or say you love God, but when you're actually, you're, you're powerful because of the desperation that's within you. The things that are buried deep within you, this DNA of saying, God, I know you are bigger and greater and faster and stronger, and I want all of you in me. I want this, this passion. And you say, well, how do you get that? How do we get to that point? You gotta be desperate. You know, it's this thing of entitlement or desperation. Do you feel like God owes you something because you've served him for so long, or are you truly desperate for him to move in your life? You know, people will say, Brandon, I've been, I've been, I've been a Christian for 40 years. And I'll say, well, I, I wonder if sometimes if people have been a Christian for 40 years and ascending in their relationship with God for 40 years, or if they've been a Christian for one year and just repeated it 40 times. Like, are, are we truly desperate for the things of God? Is that fresh fire? Is there that freshness in our spirit? Is, is there something powerful about what God's doing? Are we excited about what he's doing? You know, when you look through the scripture and you look through the, the, all the stories that the Bible tells us, we read all these miracles that Jesus did. And you know, I think for us, a lot of the thoughts with these miracles is that Jesus is awesome. Jesus is powerful. Jesus did something great. But I think if that's our, our mindset, we're actually missing it. Because a lot of these stories are written so that we would see the desperation that the people had when they attempted to confront Jesus and not the fact that Jesus could do it, but that they believed and they were desperate for him to do it. Think about the, the miracle of the centurion. There was this leader. He was over a lot of people. He had a lot of influence. And this man comes to Jesus and he's saying, hey, man, I, I believe you can do this. And Jesus said, I haven't found faith anywhere around me like this guy. He said, absolutely, your servant will be healed. Or the woman who had the issue of bleeding for 12 years, she was pretty much crawling on her hands and her feet just to get to him and to touch the hem of his garment, knowing that she would be healed. The stories aren't about the power of God. They're about the desperation of the people that approached God, knowing that they needed to be desperate for who he was. They needed to have this passion for the things that he was and knowing that the desperation is actually what's going to bring people around them to God. It's not the fact they say they're a Christian. You know that hasn't worked. It's not claiming something. God doesn't need a bunch of followers. He wants a bunch of people that are fully entrenched with the power of God in their life. In Mark chapter 10, I want to tell you a story, but I want to kind of paint a picture. This is during the Passover. And the Passover is a celebration of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And so Jesus is taking all of his followers and he's walking towards Jerusalem. And it would have been in a rabbinic culture as a rabbi. It would have been normal for you to walk towards this city and for all of your followers to come behind you. And so his 12 disciples were following him as well as this crowd of Jews. And it, the Bible tells us that the 12 disciples, they were in awe of him. So they were excited about what God was going to do. They knew that he had prophesied the end time is coming, that he is going to be crucified. But the people that were following the Israelites, these Jews, they, it says they were, they, were strict, they were struck with fear. They weren't sure what it was going to be. And so here you have Jesus walking. And the Bible, this miracle takes place. And they're not really sure. Some people say it happened in the city of, of, of Jericho. Other people say it happened between. But there's an old Jericho and there's a new Jericho. And then there's a road that connects them. And so this miracle I'm about to read you, it, it most likely happened on that road. And the reason this is important is because of the atmosphere. So this road would have been filled with people selling stuff, uh, market. People that were, had, uh, you know, any type of disease or illness would have been asking for money. The beggars would have been out in full force. The animals would have been there. It would have been a very busy place between the old Jericho and the new Jericho. And so you have Jesus, and he's walking towards this city, and he's walking out of one city into another along this road up to new Jericho. And you have this beggar who is sitting beside the road, and he's yelling out something for Jesus to hear him. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It says, so they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And so when you read this scripture, there's a couple things I want to point out to you. The first is this. When you're traveling, or you're sitting on the side of the road and there's Jesus traveling, and you can't see, you're blind. But you know that he's nearby. Somebody told you that. The Bible tells us that he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby. Now this is complete faith, because there's no way he could have identified Jesus of Nazareth. He'd never heard him talk, most likely. He'd never been in the presence of his teaching. And so the only way he would know is if he had something that he inherently knew or just knew in faith, like this is really the king of kings. I've talked to this guy. There's something about him. I I can resonate. I understand that he's there. And so there's a faith element knowing that Jesus is nearby. I can't see him, but I believe he's here, and I'm not going to allow this opportunity to pass me by. I'm going to shout down the son of David because I want to see amazing things happen in my life. I want God to be be this amazing ultimate king, and I want to have this desperation in my life that far exceeds anything that I could think, ask, or imagine. You all with me? And so he's sitting there, and he's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know, but I know. I know that he's nearby. Somebody has told me he's nearby. And maybe in our life, instead of expecting God to do things, if you know he's in the neighborhood, then receive the blessing that your neighbors are getting and be excited that he's in the neighborhood. And stop worrying about the entitlement that comes with saying I'm a Christian and start looking towards the desperation that's required to really walk in the way that God's called us to walk. Do you understand what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning? Do you understand this concept? It's about desperation. God's not looking for a bunch of people to wear the badge. He's looking for a bunch of people to walk with an anointing and a power to say, I'm desperate for the things of God. I'm not trying to half-step and play games with God. I want to walk with an authority. I'm not worried about the things around me. I want to be focused on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want the Elohim, the great I am, to be the one that thrives and, and drives and pushes me to something great in my life. But the second part of this that I love It says he knew he was nearby, but you know what it says? It says he began to shout. Now, the thing that keeps us from God a lot of times is that we're just not willing to shout because we can't let people know that we have a desperation for something that we can't control. We can't let people know that there's a shout needed. You know, why is it so important to shout? Why is it so important to shout and say, Son of David, have mercy on me because the shout is the byproduct of the desperation. Saying, Lord, I just pray that you would heal this situation in my life. Jesus' name, amen. That's very different than saying, God, I believe that you can heal it. God, I believe that you're all-powerful, all-knowing, that you are the king of all kings. You are the biggest of big and the best of the best. And I stand here and I pray, Lord, that you would use me, but I'm desperate for the presence of a mighty God in my life. There's a very big difference between the two, right? Very big difference. Very big. Are you desperate for him? Are you truly desperate for a move of God? And think about this. What is it about vocalizing things that changes the game? I mean, psychotherapy is one of the, the, the most uh, proven ways for people to overcome anxiety, depression, even bipolar. Not saying that some of these things aren't, uh, some of these things aren't actually uh, medicinal things that need medicated. What I'm trying to communicate to you is psychotherapy works, and it's because there are professionals who know what they're doing to get you to talk about things you normally wouldn't talk about and vocalize things you've never said before, and it actually brings healing. You see what I'm saying? And so what happens whenever you vocalize the need, you realize that I can't do this without God. Because you're hearing how ridiculous it is and what you actually need for somebody to do in your life. That desperation, and you see Jesus walking by, and if you know he's nearby, it's like, what keeps us from just shouting, Son of David, have mercy on me? What keeps us from that? What's keeping you from shouting God down in your life? You say, oh man, I just, I'm not like that dog. I'm just like a man's man. It's just different for me. No, you just don't have a desperation for the things of God. There's too much you're in control of and not enough that he's in control of. Desperation comes out of a place of humility, not a place of entitlement. It comes out of a place where realizing, you see, why why does this happen to us where we lose track? 
What happens? I'm glad you asked. What happens is that you forget what God did for you to save you from what you were in. You forget where he brought you from, and you live for God so many years, and maybe it becomes apathy. You actually forget where you were found. You forget the darkness you came out of. You forget the addictions you had. You forget the torment you were in. You forget the way you talked, the way you walked, the things that you accepted, the things that you listened to, the things that you learned. You forget the darkness that he brought you out of into the light. You forget that, and you begin to get entitled after serving him for such a long time. As if I put in my work, now it's time to retire. And God is saying, I need people that are desperate for me, that are crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me, because I'm going to walk, and I'm going to move, and I'm going to shout down the walls, and I'm going to watch the miraculous take place in my life, because I am desperate for a move of God. Can somebody shout this morning saying, I am desperate for a move of the Most High God, the King of all kings. And you say, well, brother, I'm just not there. Then you need to find him, and I'll tell you where you start. You. And you recognize what he's done in your life. You Got to get desperate for him. Christianity gets boring, man, because you're not serving God. You're serving the idea of God. Bartimaeus was saying, son of David, I know you're real, man. And I'm crying out, have mercy on me. We've all prayed that prayer, right? Every one of us has said that before. We're like, have mercy on me. But I love the next, vo- the next verse, what it says in verse 48. And we all know this to be true. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When the, the haters are going to hate and when the darkness wants to be dark and when the things that don't go your way don't go your way continually and they're all saying, shut up. You come from a family of people that are divorced, your mom, your dad, your grandparents, you're going to get divorced, accept it. Oh, you come from a family of financial issues that leave problems for their kids, you're going to be the same way. Oh, you come from a family where the kids don't like their parents, accept it and move on and see your grandkids whenever you're allowed. Instead of, I'm going to walk with authority and lead my home under the influence of a mighty king and I'm going to believe for my marriage. I'm going to believe for my kids. I'm going to believe for my finances. I'm going to walk with authority and I'm going to walk down darkness and not let it walk up my back. That's what you got to start shouting. Everybody's saying shut up. Darkness is saying shut up. You don't have it figured out. You know what I say? Jesus, have mercy on me. I won't approach the ignorant, but I will lift up my king. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I have four boys takes everything I have not to want to hurt them sometimes. <laughs> Seven, five, three, and one. My favorite is the one-year-old. It's okay. I can have one. He doesn't talk much, but he's cute. He's got fat everywhere. <laughs> you kiss a roll and you shake something on the other side of his body. He's amazing. <laughs> but you know what? People say stuff about my kids. You know what I say? No, 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 no. Listen, my boys, they might, they might take me from one place to the other in my mind, but I'm raising up four men who are going to be men of God. They're going to lead their wives under the authority of a king. They're going to square their shoulders up to the world and lead their home like men, and they're going to be absolutely desperate for the things of God so that their wives and their kids, and the only way they're going to get there is if dad is living a life desperate for God, where they see a leader who doesn't have it figured out, but a dad who is desperate for the move of God in his life saying, Father, I don't have it figured out, but I will surrender to you. And you look back and you say, what went wrong? You lost your desperation. Lost it. Somewhere along the line, you started to have too many answers and not enough questions for your God. You know why it hurts? Because it's pride. And pride always punches us right in the face. And any error I have made in my parenting has come from me, my, oh my, oh my. Me. There's times if I showed videotape of what I want to yell in my house, you probably walk out right now. I don't want to listen to this guy because, I mean, I do everything. I want to set my house on fire when these kids are acting like they're fools. 
Y'all are laughing because you know you got the same problems. But you know what God showed me? He's like, Brandon, it's not about the mistakes. It's about knowing that you're desperate and your boys will see that. They're not looking for perfection. They're looking for desperate. They're looking for a dad who they know relies on the king of kings and lives like it. You know, there's going to be things in your life that you don't want to do, but you're going to have to do. I hate avocados. <laughs> hate them. It's like eating a giant booger. And I don't eat boogers. <laughs> I don't eat boogers, but it's, it's like I... It's like I grabbed my, one of my kids' shirts and just ate something off of it. You know, it's disgusting. They're slimy. They got a consistency that shouldn't be consumed by humans. But I eat them. Why? Because they're apparently a healthy fat. And I don't want to get fat, but I figure if I eat healthy fats, it's better than fat fats. You know, and it's not that I like to do it. You, there's things in your life you're not going to want to do, but it's necessary for, for many, a plethora of reasons. And I'm not trying to downsize your condition this morning. But what I want you to understand is life is full of decisions that you don't want to make and things you don't want to do. But when you're desperate for God, it doesn't become about you. It becomes about Him. And it becomes about what you do. Listen, you don't fast and pray so that, you can, so that God can know your needs better. You fast and pray so that you can hear Him clearer. God doesn't need you to pray for him. He knows everything there is to know about you. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever re realized that God knows everything you're going to ask? It's so that you can hear him clearer. Have you ever realized that nothing has ever occurred to God? Nothing's ever profoundly occurred to him. He doesn't need you to pray for him. You have got to break down those things in your physical and quiet the world and shut out darkness so that you can hear the name of Jesus in your life and you can hear what the, the king of kings is trying to put into your spirit. And so when people are saying, shut up, the reason you shout is because you had a lot of moments where you've been shouting out the name of Jesus and you haven't cared about the haters and you haven't cared about the darkness, you haven't cared about what people said, and that's what's pushing you through because you know them in an intimate way that only comes from you doing things that you don't want to do. I love the next part of this passage. It says in verse 49, it says, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. And so they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. And in verse 50, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. And this is significant because this, this coat is what they would give beggars and blind men and people that weren't of any good. The people that were, were not able to contribute to society were looked at as outcasts. They were looked at as darkness. They were looked at as trash. They were given the scraps. And so he'd wear a coat that would identify you, but in that coat would also be the money that he's collected, or maybe his lunch and his dinner, or maybe a pillow, or whatever it may be. That, maybe his coat was his pillow at night. And so when he jumped up, he knew the minute that he was recognized, the minute that his, his king responded, he threw his cloak, not caring if some other beggar grabbed it and all the money, he threw it because he's like, listen, my chains are gone. I am no longer that, but now I'm this. And if he's called me to this, I have been faithful, and I am desperate, and I'm walking out of here able to see you understand what I'm trying to tell you? He believed in something because he knew a God desperately. He wasn't hoping for a miracle. Anybody can hope for one or believe that God can do one. He knew that God would do one. And that's the difference between being desperate and just living. It's believing God for it, not just thinking he can do it. Darkness believes he can do it. They've seen it. But no one that will do it. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. Do you guys realize how much he loves you? You know those cold tears on those pillows at night that you just don't know it, think anybody knows about? He's there. You know how much your heavenly father's in love with you? Has it ever occurred to you the passion that your king has for your life? 
desperately want your attention the way you want your kids' attention. Times 100. I made that number up. It could be, it's a lot greater than that. He wants all of you because he's desperate for you. And the only way you'll get all of him is to be desperate. To not get mundane and content with where you're at with him, but say, God, I just want to know you more. If you feel like you're tired of trying to get to know him and reading your Bible and praying, it's just because you're not in a place where you're really knowing him. I've had them. Seasons come and seasons go. I get it, but you've got to be in a place where you're completely desperate for the move of God in your life. I love what verse 51 says. This whole thing goes down. Everybody's telling Bartimaeus, shut up. You're a beggar. Be quiet. And God calls him, stand up. He comes and he stands up. I love what Jesus says to him here. What do you want me to do for you? Aren't you the king of kings? You, wait, you're the great I am. You created all of this. I've seen you heal blind people, raise dead people. Say that you're the Messiah and you're going to come back. You, wait, you're the Jehovah Jireh, my provider, my security. You're Jehovah Nisi, you're Elohim, the great I am, the prince of all peace, the mighty king, the everlasting father. And you're asking me what you want me to do for you. Are you kidding? This is really your response. This is the best you got. I knew this was a fluke. Give me my cloak back before I hurt somebody. You know why Jesus asked that question? It's the same reason he wants you to shout. Because when you hear what you need from him, you realize that only he can provide it. And when you say, what do you want me to do for you? And you verbalize, I need you to heal me from cancer. I need you to normalize cells in my body. I need you to fix what medicine can't fix and provide what my finances can't afford. And when he does it, you know where that hand came from. And I think right now in this moment, I sense that's what God's asking many of you is, what do you want me to do for you? Knowing very well that he knows, but that he wants to hear you say it. There's something about thinking about praise and actually praising that's different. What do you want me to do for you? And, but I love Bartimaeus' response because it shows not an entitled person that expects something, but it shows somebody who's hungry for the things of God. It shows somebody who's passionate about this amazing king. It shows somebody who has an intimate relationship and doesn't doubt. It says, my rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. He's saying, you are everything you say you are. You are everything you promised to be. You are everything that you told me you were going to be. I believe in you. I've seen you. You can't hide from me. I know you. I am one of your own. And that's why you recognize me because you know in all these thousands of people, I was the one who was truly desperate. And you recognize me because that's the people you're going to use because the desperate people are the ones that recognize they don't have what it takes. And they cry out to you regardless of the circumstance and regardless of the end result because desperation isn't a byproduct of need. It's a byproduct of intimacy. And I will stand here with you, God, and I will tell you all day that you're my king, regardless of how this thing turns out, because I am desperate to know you. What do you want me to do for you? He says, my rabbi, just want to see. What an intimate picture. Just want to see. You know that, and I know that, but I just, I can't see. And in verse 52, it says, and Jesus said to him, go, 
your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. And this word instantly, Mark, who wrote this book, uses this word over 40 times. It's only used a dozen times in the rest of the New Testament. But Mark is this passionate author and he's trying to get you to see there's an urgency. A third of the book of Mark is written about the last week of Jesus' life. And he's trying to get you to see there's an urgency. There's a need for you to move and to see God and to let God move and to let God be the king of kings in your life and to let him be the Lord of lords in your life. There's an urgency and he's saying, listen, listen to me. Listen what I'm trying to tell you. Immediately, I am healed. Immediately, something took place, not because in that moment, but it's been a lot of moments of desperation where God was continually my source of strength, and he was the one that I knew would never leave me or forsake me, and that's why that moment happened the way that it happened. Immediately, it took place. I have two questions I want to ask you. They're rhetorical. Don't answer them out loud. The first one is this. Is God big enough to fix what's broken? Now, don't tell me yes, because you know he is. Do you believe that he will fix what's broken? Is your God big enough? Is he capable? And then the second question I have is, that are you small enough to allow him? It's the only way that it works. You believe in his greatness, and then you believe in your need. You believe in who he is. You know, in 2016, I made a drastic life choice. I decided to get off of Instagram. I abandoned the gram wholeheartedly in May of 2016. You see, God spoke to me, and what he told me is, Brandon, I need to take you through a season where the only platform I want you to stand on is the one at Lifehouse Virginia Beach. And I said no to a lot of events and a lot of opportunities. I just knew that it was a season God was telling me, you need to step back because there's things I want to do in you. And during the, prior to this season, my wife had looked me in the eyes at one point, and she just said, Brandon, you just lost that love for God that I knew was always there. That passion is no longer there. And I knew I could do ministry as a professional, but I didn't have the desperation. You see, what had happened was, for years, I started to do memory, ministry out of memory and not out of inspiration. It was out of what I knew, but not out of who I really was. And so I went into this time of my life where I knew that God had to uproot some things that were from a long time ago and pains that were darker than the darkest night and they were harder than the toughest thing you can ever imagine. And I went through multiple counseling sessions and I went through multiple different layers of, of healing and, and things that I had to overcome from years and years and years of things that I endured as a child and things that I endured when I was younger. But I can tell you this, they were the darkest moments of my life that I knew that I had to just get my desperation back or I couldn't continue in the way I was doing. I knew it. I become so hardened and walled up with people in my life that I become a professional Christian. So last fall, I felt, I felt something start to boil. And the Lord told me, you need to dream again. And I was pastoring a, a church in Virginia Beach. We launched in 2014. The church is growing. Things are good. But I wasn't. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I just didn't feel, I just, I, I just had this hurt. And I had to walk through real pain. Real, real freedom. Real things that I had, to, I had to endure. And in the last fall, he said, Brandon, I, I want you to dream again. And so January of 2018, I was in a prayer meeting with a bunch of pastors. And at the end of this prayer meeting, one of the pastors comes up to me and says, hey, man, the Lord gave me a word for you. And he told me to tell you, you need to dream again. Thanks. Did he happen to tell you what the dream was? Anything. So I came home to Casey. I said, man, I really feel like I need to dream again. She's like, all right, let's start dreaming. I think I don't know how. 
Like, sounds good. I... <laughs> like, what does this look like? February of 2018, this past year, I woke up in the middle of the night. And the Lord spoke to me. He says, Brandon, three and three. He said, over the next three years, I want Lifehouse Virginia Beach to plant three campuses in this city. Okay? It's crazy. Went back to sleep. Woke up the next morning. I told Case, you know, I'm just going to take this day and fast and pray. I woke up in the middle of the night last night, and God spoke to me about three and three. Next three years, he wants us to plant three campuses. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment. He's like, why are you fasting about that? I've already told you what to do. Go do it. Fast about something else. I've already told you what you're going to do. Now go do it. Okay, well, I need to take this to the church, and so we launched it to the church, and after we released this vision, we've had people call us. We have people moving from different places to come and be a part of this 3 and 3 in Virginia Beach. They feel like they're called to this thing, and I'm thinking, God, do you, do you need me for anything? I mean, is there anything you need me for at this point? He's just gone before us. It's incredible to see what he's doing. 2016, I was speaking at an event. Backtrack a little bit. And somebody came up to me at this event, one of the speakers, and he said, hey, man, I got a prophecy for you. Right on me. He said, Isaiah 54, this is what the Lord's speaking to your church. And Isaiah 54 is a scripture that talks about the Israelites, and it talks about they were coming back into Israel. And what the scripture says is that they would be, uh, they would be so overflowing when they came out of captivity that they would have to go into the lands around them. And it talks about tent pegs, and it talks about putting your tent pegs in different places, and that God will give you all these different territories. And so I'm thinking, well, 2016, okay, well, let me go dr walk around the city and camp out for three weeks and mark all my territory. Or do I need to march around a building? Like, what is, what is the tent pegs? And Lord, in his great fashion, just didn't say anything. Like, I'm not talking to you about that right now. Let's keep it in your heart. I had a picture painted for me 10 years ago. Somebody gave it to me. It was a prophetic painting of a man looking over water in a city. And at the bottom, it said Isaiah 54. Had no idea what any of that meant. And I woke up in February of 2018. The Lord spoke to me, and he says, Brandon, your church is going to be setting the pegs. And we didn't know at the time, but our church is in the furthest northeast corner of Virginia Beach, not centrally located to anything. We're in the furthest northeast corner, and God said, I'm going to plant your next campus in the southeast corner, and then I'm going to move you back, and I'll move you up, and I'm going to give you four pegs, and I'm going to be the canvas, and everything under that canvas, you're going to pastor in this city. And I sit here, and I tell it to you, and even as I say it, there's not a time that goes by I don't tell this story that I don't feel overwhelmed with the, just gracious that God would trust me with such a vision, but realizing he's, it's not the vision, it's, it's the people that he wants. You know, God's heart isn't broken over uh, churches, he's broken over people who don't attend them. You know, and then realizing it's all about people who don't know Christ. And how do we reach people who don't know Christ? Well, it's got to be people that are desperate for a move of God in their own life before it can happen in a church. And before it can happen in a church, it's got to happen, you know what I mean? It's got to happen something. Something's got to be bigger inside of you. But I want to I share that with you for this reason. This same story about Bartimaeus was written about in the book of Matthew. But Matthew tells it a little different. You know what Matthew says? Matthew tells us that there wasn't one guy that needed to have his sight received. It tells us that there were two men, Bartimaeus and his buddy, both had their sight healed. So what I'm trying to communicate to you is if you are desperate for God, there are people in your life that will benefit from your faith. There are people in your life that will benefit when you're desperate and saying, God, I, I submit to you. I will walk through the dark times and I'll walk through the tough times, but I surrender to you, God. And what I'm trying to tell you is God took me through those I'm back on Instagram, by the way. God took me through the process so you can, hit, you can hit me up. I'll be on there today. But God, hit, God took me through that process. And when he finally released me, he says, you're ready. I got more platforms for you, but right now I need you to be desperate for me. And I can tell you there is not, I was laying in bed last night, slaying, and I was literally like, God, I, I, don't, I hope I never lose the feeling of being a humble servant, knowing that I have nothing to offer, but through me, you have everything to offer people who hear your word. 
Because that's desperation. I'm telling you now, there's not a day that I get up in front of Lifehouse Virginia Beach and preach the gospel that I don't walk out on that stage saying, God, any day you got somebody better, I will serve in the parking lot. You just use me until you don't need this anymore. And I'm your humble servant. And I am desperate for a move of God in my life. I want my boys to love God. I want my wife to love God. I want my church to love God. And for them to see there's a power of a mighty God, if they would just surrender to who he is, we've got to be desperate. But it has to come out of a place of desire doesn't just manifest itself. Hard decisions you have to make. Relationships you have to break. Things you have to change. You've got to be desperate. This morning, maybe you're sitting here and you're hearing all of this and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For those of you you have, you know this narrative. You know, you remember hearing this a million times, but for somebody today, this is that time where it's going to never be the same. And you know in this moment that God is calling you, you've, maybe your heart is beating out of your chest or you just feel uncomfortable, but you know that you have this passion and you are desperate for a move of God in your life and you want to receive who he is and you want to you want to live for him you're saying today brain I want to I want to walk forward and I want to actually receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior because I'm desperate and I'm ready for this move you need to realize it doesn't matter who you are in this room you have a dad that is in love with you he's proud of his creation you might say, you don't understand what I've done. You know, my kids, they can do anything they want, but I'll never look at them and not be proud that they're my kid. It doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. It just means that I love them, and it's unconditional to what they choose to do with their life. And if you love your kids like that in an earthly way, how much more does your heavenly father love you? Anything you could ever think about your kids, that emotion is almost at a garbage level compared to what God thinks of you. It's not because you don't love your kids. It's just because we don't have the capacity to love the way God loves. This morning you may sit here saying, Brian, I just, I need this, man. I need God. I need, I need a move of God in my life. I think that recognition is your first step. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but what I'm going to ask is everybody in this room, if you would just take a minute, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And for those of you that know God, I want you just to, I want you just to begin to talk to him. You know what you're desperate about. You know what you need to be desperate about. I don't need to, you don't need somebody to tell you what in your life you need God for. You know that. For some of you, it's something that's been 50 years running. For some of you, it's new. It's, it's a month old. For some of you, it's family. For some of you, it's a health issue. But you know there's things in your life that only he can fix. There's things that only he can do. You know that. You know that to be true. But don't you leave here this morning without knowing that you've got a king that is passionately in love with you. He is so excited to be your dad. This morning, you can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can sense the presence of God. It's dad, and he's just saying, I love y'all. I'm proud to be your dad. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I'm, like again, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I want to pray with you right in your seat. But if you don't know him and you want to today, would you just lift your hand up and you can put it right back down? Would you do that? Yeah, you can put him right back down. All over this room, as hands are going up, you can put him right back down. You can put him right back down. But you're saying, that's me today. I, I want to know Jesus. You can put him right back down. A couple more moments. You may feel so uncomfortable in this moment. You may feel like you're just beside yourself, but let me tell you, this is the holy, this is what we call the, 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 the power of a mighty God, and he's trying to speak to your heart to tell you that he's desperate for you. He wants your attention. Another second, if that's you this morning, don't fight it for some of you. I believe maybe you've been fighting it for 30 or 40 years, and today's the day of salvation for you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up one more second? You can put it right back down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, but what you need to realize, the minute you lifted that hand, that Savior came in and he started to do something in your heart because he recognized, he recognized someone who was saying, God, I want you. It doesn't take him long. He's there. He's there. Before he can get done saying it, 
before your mind can put it into your mouth, he's already there because he sees your heart. I'm gonna ask everybody in this room, if you would repeat this prayer with those that are saying it for the first time, would you just say, dear Jesus, I surrender my life. I believe that you died and rose again, and I surrender. I give you my desires, I give you my will, and I give you anything that I could ever ask, and I submit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're standing, would you put your hands together and welcome those in who just said that prayer? Come on, Clover Hill. Come on, let them know. Welcome them to the family. Welcome them into the house. Let them know that you're proud to be a sibling. You're proud to have them. Now, this is how what I want you to do. All across this room, there are different reasons to be desperate for different things. I'm going to try to make the cameraman go crazy for a minute. Am I getting dark? I'm going to try to get you guys to a place where I want you to be desperate. I want you to be desperate for things that you've prayed, you've believed, you've thought, but maybe you don't even believe could ever really happen. Maybe you don't believe God could ever really do in your life. I want you to get desperate for a moment. Can we end this amazing day with that? Every campus, every service I have watched with my own eyes chase God in ways that men and women aren't, aren't necessarily supposed to in 2018. It's not normal, and I'm trying to tell you that's the desperation that, that does things that only God can explain. People will look at your life and say, only God could do that. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you in a minute to raise your hands. And what this means is saying, God, I surrender. For some of you, this will be the first time. And you're thinking, it's a little awkward, but I want you to do it for one reason. It's saying, God, I've got nothing in my pockets, no tricks up my sleeve. Would you do that right now? All across this room, would you get desperate? Would you get desperate? I want you to begin to shout out what it is you're looking for, what it is you need. God, we come to you right now. Holy Spirit, we're desperate for you. We're longing to hear from you. We're longing to reach in. And God, we know that you are the God of miracles. We know you're the God that goes before us. We know you're the God that sees our need before we can vocalize it. But right now, every hand and heart that is raised in Clover Hill, God, I pray that they would see that you love them, that you are proud of them, that you see a need. And God, you've gone before us and you begin to supply that need. There's no one like you. God, we are desperate for you. Come on, just begin to shout. Begin to shout praise. Begin to shout it down. God, we need you. You are the king of all kings. You are the Lord of all lords. Come on, let's sing this together.